out of paper, out of stock. There's friendly faces around the block. Break loose from the chains that are causing you pain. Call Michael and Stanley, Jim Dwight Creek. Paper people. Time out, time out, time out. Paper people! How y'all doing? Welcome to the ninth episode of the second season of The Office and oh, something overall. You were almost going to say it. I was going to do it, but I don't know which one it is. Fifteenth. Fifteenth! We did it. We didn't do it yeah. last episode. No. Yeah. Well. I was a little disappointed in myself. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was editing. I'm like, wait. No, no, <laughs> I didn't get it in. Sorry, viewers. Yeah. <laughs> well, as always, I'm Dan. I've got with me Rob. That's me. How's it going, man? Doing good. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, it's kind of been pedal to the metal for like the last two weeks for me. Oh, uh, work. Work and then band responsibilities and it's summer, so got to fill our weekends with activities fun activities they're fun fun activities but it's always an adjustment period between the hibernation of winter and you know getting into the summer that's true yeah it's funny because whenever you're you're in the thick of one you think about the other fondly uh-huh and it just switches <laughs> and then when you're there you realize it's all bad <laughs> I know. It's all good. It's yeah, just, no, you know. Yeah, no, I feel you. I've been running around to furniture stores since I'm moving in. I'm moving in a group a week. Yeah. Yeah. Five days. Wow. Well, that's when I'll have my new place. Yeah. I don't know. I'll be all moved in immediately. It's you've got a you've got a place. month transition period. Uh, it's like three weeks, but yeah. Yeah. That's cool. More than enough. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, that aside, uh, before we jump into office stuff, something I was going to bring up to you a minute ago, but then figured might as well just save it for this. Yeah. Um, so I found out recently, just a few days ago, uh, apparently my aunt did one of those, you know, DNA ancestry family tree things where huh. you get your DNA tested. It shows you people you're related to, you might not have been aware of. Hmm. And through it, she linked up with some psychiatrist that's like her second cousin i guess that she had never met didn't know of Mm -hmm. apparently he brought up offhandedly that his first cousin is steven topolowski so i'm apparently no here i'm gonna pull up a picture of him on my phone you're gonna know who he is conjoined triangles of success oh no way yeah so apparently (laughs) that guy's like a fourth cousin or something of mine i'm not sure exactly what level cousin but i'm blood related to him watch that first step (laughs) <laughs> it's a doozy. Yep. <laughs> oh, I love that guy. Yeah, me too. Everybody loves that guy. And now <laughs> I learn he's a family member of mine. That's exciting. I think my favorite thing that actor has done is uh, the holistic guru in Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Do you remember his name? No. Oh, it's Tor. Tor. Tor Ackman. It was a hilarious mix of sounds like a wrestler and a Jew. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. 
Yeah. I thought about shooting him an email or something. Just being like, hey, big fan. Not expecting a response. Apparently we're cousins. See ya. Let's get him on the podcast. Let's get him on here. <laughs> Was he ever in the office? No, I don't think so. What a waste. I know. You really should have squeezed him in somewhere. It would have been great if he was one of the uh, like interim bosses. Oh, that would have been amazing. Transition period, yeah. Even just one of the ones that was interviewed right. during that, uh, those couple episodes would have been great, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Missed opportunity. It really was. Well, aside from that, you got anything you want to talk about? We got a singer for our band, and we're hey. very close to getting our first EP out the door. Nice. Congrats. Yeah. So we spent all day Saturday recording scratch tracks, which are tracks that we record our individual parts over in isolation. So we're getting there. I didn't know you guys needed a singer this whole time. Oh, should we have let you audition? Yeah. (laughs) My pipes are fresh, Rob. (laughs) At least according to one Trey Anastasio. Oh, well, but, uh, I mean, or no, not my pipes are fresh. We're not, we're my not pipes co- are primo. Damn, oh, I messed primo. it up. Uh, what is that from? It's from uh, Steve Colbert and oh. Broccoli Rob. Broccoli Rob. Taunting Andy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I mean, we're not committed. Oh, okay. So I, I can get you an audition. Saying there's still a chance. <laughs> All right, well, let's get that set up. First thing. All right. Let's do it. What kind of vocal styles are you looking for? Well... You can do falsetto and high harmony. That's all I am really solid on. With my register, you know, I don't know where else I can go with it. I mean, we might be able to use some high harmony. Yeah? Yeah. Maybe we'll throw you on tambourine and put you on a back backing vocal mic. Yeah. <laughs> I think realistically, maybe uh, I could be like a deeper voice Tom Waits. I think I could do that for you. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We'll, we'll give it a shot. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, move on to office news. Yeah. You sure? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, let's do it. Did you find any news beyond what I found or no? Uh, No, I was actually going to bring up the Stanley Cup news. Ah. You already got it. Well, look at who's on the news this week (laughs) for once. (laughs) Maybe the first time. So yeah, talking about the Stanley Cup, apparently things are heating up over Twitter between John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher, Jim and Pam, respectively, for any of our viewers that might not know somehow at this point. Pim and Jam. Pim and Jam. Yeah. They, uh, I guess the rivalry was sparked when somebody tweeted out a scream grab from a video that was posted in early May of Fisher in the St. Louis Blues official account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's... Oh, I, what did I say? St. Louis? St. Louis, I think. Good old St. Louis. <laughs> That's just the level of casualness I have with St. Louis, you know? <laughs> People from St. Louis understand. Oh, yeah. So anyway, she's uh, cheering her home team, because I guess she's from there. And they won, probably thanks to her cheers. All right, Pam. I can't imagine how else they could have done or it. Or Jenna. Right. And then uh, the account also tweeted a 2013 image of John Krasinski wearing a Boston Bruins jersey. Uh Uh-oh. Yep. Because he is a Boston native. What I found more upsetting about this is that Jim isn't a Phillies fan in real life. Hmm. Yeah. I don't mind Jim and Pam rooting for different teams, but (laughs) I want more Philly Jim. Philly Jim. (laughs) 
And uh, that's pretty much all there is to that story. Yeah. Yeah. It's been all the all the rage and entertainment headlines. Everyone's been talking about yeah, it. I think true. even Trump might have tweeted about it. Oh, man. Yeah. Just, maybe Kim Jong-un, you know, North Korea made an official uh, statement about it. I did. I did have heard that he is a uh, avid hockey fan. Really? No. Oh. <laughs> I know he's a basketball fan. Right. Dennis Rodman. Yeah. yeah. And a Dennis Rodman fan just in general. Clearly. Well, yeah. But, I mean, he wouldn't really be excited to meet Dennis Rodman had he not been a big basketball fan. Totally. Yeah. Although, on the other hand, it's Dennis Rodman. I feel like I'm not a basketball fan, and I'd be a little excited to meet Dennis Rodman because how often do you encounter a human being that's that strange that's not, like, masturbating in public or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, if Dennis Rodman, if I encountered him and he was masturbating in public, it may, I guess I'd be a little less stoked about it. But Yeah. But outside of that. It would bring a <laughs> whole new meaning to airworm. Yes. <laughs> it sure would. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, outside of that news, I saw that there was an article about Mindy Kaling where she was talking a little bit about her experiences in the office um, and mostly talking about her new show, Late Night. But was saying how, um, you know, it's just a change for her that she's the showrunner and creator of this new show. And uh, about her experiences that her character in the show has. And she said uh, when she first started working in the office, she was the only minority and the only woman working on the writing staff. And she was just in this room full of Harvard writers and felt really nervous and insecure that she would be fired Mm. pretty much all the time. And, uh, yeah, she said she felt like that for about a year and then eventually made some of her best friends. So all in all positive experience. It kind of makes sense as to, uh, it even kind of, that even translates on screen with her character. Yeah, it does. You know, I never really put that together when I was reading this yeah. article, but she does seem kind of timid and mm-hmm. it's very closed off. But now we're seeing her slowly gain more confidence and be a little more outspoken. It's true. I feel like by mid-season two, she's, you know, Kelly as we know her, and then just gets more and more right exaggerated Yeah, and Kelly-ness, Kelly-like over time. Have you seen Late Night at all? No. Is that the show that we checked out once? No. I think oh, that was show. called Champions, right? You're right. Yeah. No, I don't know anything about Late Night, actually. Yeah, me either. Let's add it to the list. Add it to the list. All right. We got to actually make this physical list one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> and actually go through the stuff on the list. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we start with Jack Ryan, I guess we're probably going to be <laughs> going through it for a few months. Let's not start with that. Let's not. Let's start with the shorter things. No offense, John Krasinski. No. While we're on the subject of Mindy Kaling, I think the place I would like to start is that uh, that play about the making of Goodwill Hunting. Yes. It's really. We should look into that. Yeah. It's got to be somewhere. That tickled my my funny bone or interest bone. I don't I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Intrigued your funny bone. There we go. Yeah. Or it funnied my intrigue bone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting kind of uncomfortable with all this talk about bones, so let's just move <laughs> on to the episode. Let's do that. All right. Today we have got email surveillance, the ninth episode of the second season and fifteenth overall. It was written by Jennifer Calada. I'm going to go with Salada. Salada? Well, I apologize, Jennifer. Whatever one of us said that's wrong. I like the soft C. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, let's just go with Salada. 
And you know what? I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start calling Paul Feig. Paul Feig. I'm pretty sure his name is Paul Feig. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm just messing around. Okay. I just like having fun with. You think this is Ken Quapi we got over here? Yeah, that's the thing. I'm I'm missing I'm missing Ken. Yeah. We haven't had any Ken in the last couple episodes. All right, well, I'm gonna call her Jennifer Salata. Okay. Is okay. I like it. All right. And uh anyway, aside from all that, the episode aired on November twenty second, two thousand five, and was viewed by eight point one million people. Also should note, in case we missed the fact that it was directed by Paul Feig and us having fun with his name oh we might have missed that yes yeah that is why i brought him on by the episode is directed by him by paul feig all feig right paul feig (laughs) powell (laughs) (laughs) now we're really getting away from really reaching (laughs) all right so powell salata uh (laughs) jennifer salata is an american tv producer and writer uh, she was born November 11th, 1971. She has worked on Home Improvement, Malcolm in the Middle, The Newsroom, Greg the Bunny, Andy Richter Controls the Universe, and The Office. Greg the Bunny. Greg the Bunny. Um, it's a hand puppet show starring Seth Green. It was on IFC. No? Not a clue. Oh, okay. I remember seeing commercials for it back in the day. But anyway, back to Jennifer. It looks like she also directed a couple episodes of The Office, Cry Made and the Promotion. Mm-hmm. And by the fifth season, she was a producer and one of the series showrunners, along with Paul Lieberstein. Ah. And it looks like they, she and Paul Lieberstein co-wrote the uh, fifth season finale, Company Picnic, which is a pretty big episode. I also read that she, if she ever appeared in the show, she wanted to be a shrewd. Really? But yeah. I assume she didn't. I don't think so. That's too bad. But that's Although, great. she does look a little bit like the actress who played Dwight's sister. Really? Yeah. All right. Let's look her up. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. So it's not her? I don't think so, but it does look a little like her. I only saw one picture online, and it was a profile shot. It looks like she was in an episode, but it was in 2013. She was a wedding guest. Huh. So I guess just an unnamed person. I assume at Jim and Pam's wedding. Mm, no, I would assume Dwight and. Oh, Angela's. 2013. You're right. Right. That would be Dwight and Angela. Yeah. Wow, we're just spoiling the whole show for all of our viewers <laughs> today. I mean, you've I did all seen the show. It's true. <laughs> Sorry, viewers. Okay, well, she didn't end up serving as a shrew. No, she did not. But well, she could have been. She was a guest at their wedding. Oh, that's true. Yeah. She just didn't have a name. Right. She was never given a name. Um, so it looks like she and her co-writers in the office got an Emmy Award for Outstanding Comedy Series in 2007, 2008, 2009. Or nomination. Or nomination. Did I say they got an Emmy? My mistake. They lost all three years to 30 Rock. Um, it looks like they also got Writers Guild of America Award nominations, and they won in 2007, lost in 2006 to Curb Your Enthusiasm, and to 30 Rock again in 2008 and 2009. You think this would create kind of a, uh, a rivalry if you just kept on being nominated for something and every year 30 Rock just beats you? Depends on how much stock you put into awards. I guess that's true. Yeah. Most people, I feel like, unless they're really playing the politics behind the scenes, don't care one way or the other. That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. 
But you know what else is funny to me? I love 30 Rock. Me too. But I don't find that it's got a whole lot of rewatchability value compared to The Office. No, I completely agree with you, and I don't know why. I don't. Uh, I know a lot of people that like to rewatch Thirty Rock, but really, I think I've maybe watched it one and a half times. Right, and I just I, I tried I watching just ran it again. out of steam. Yeah, I tried watching it again once, and I just hit a point where I'm just like, and the show kind of loses it after this, and I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> As much as I hate to say it, I feel like a lot of stuff that Tina Fey writes starts to feel very kind of samey to me at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it also has just that SNL vibe and it comes in much thicker than it does for a lot of other SNL people's independent projects. It's true. And uh, maybe she allows. Yeah, if you really like that vibe, then I guess it's a good thing. Maybe she allows Lorne Michaels a lot more creative control. That could be. He is. I'm pretty sure he is an executive producer on that show. Speaking of that, did you see that AP Bio is unfortunately canceled? No. Yeah. Oh. Well. That's a bummer. I mean, we haven't even ventured into the second season yet, but. Uh, it's been good. Yeah? I've been liking it, if anything, more than the first. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I'm pretty bummed out that it's canceled. Yeah, that's that's too bad. But it seems like the writing has been on the wall for a while. It just never really had the numbers. Was that, that a Lorne Michaels show? It is. That's oh, why I brought it up. I didn't realize that. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah. But, c'est la vie. What are you gonna do? Shall we? Start the episode? I think that's about everything there is to say about Jennifer Salata. Oh, Jennifer, it looks like we can Jennifer. talk about the award, <laughs> the award that she won. We, oh. we talked about all the awards that she almost got, and we didn't bring up the one that she got. <laughs> yeah. She got a WGA award in the category for Comedy Variety Music's Award Tribute Specials in 2009 for co-writing the 2008 Independent Spirit Award Ceremony. And she shared the award with her co-writer Billy Kimball, Aaron Lee, and Office co-star Rain Wilson. Good old Rain. Yeah. So she pulled the win through in the end. All right. She's a yep. winner in our eyes. Jennifer Carlotta. Yes. <laughs> Nicely done. Let's jump to the episode. Yeah. Let's do it. Cold open. Yeah. I feel like we can edit out like three quarters of everything we said before this. Yeah, we always say that. Yeah. And this is. And, I, and I never do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we get to a cold open. It is Friday. It's another beautiful day in Scran, PA. According to Michael Scott. Oh, yeah. But as he says this to the camera, he turns to, I guess, maybe a noise in the parking lot outside the well, window. Well, no, he mentions it's a beautiful day. Oh, I guess and he's then just looking out the window. He turns to take it all in. Right. And then, it was. and then notices somebody in the parking lot. And he panics. He looks down and we see a man with a turban yes. approaching the office. Michael rushes out of his office and uh, in a mad panic... He runs the front door, locks it, turns off the lights, and starts crouching down next to the uh, guest chair in the front lobby. Someone asks, are we in danger? And Michael said, this is very real. We have no time to talk about it. Yep. He tries to quiet everyone down. Kevin asks if uh, they should call the police. And he shushes Kevin. And uh, we see someone's knocking at the door, and yeah. then we cut back to Michael in his office, and now all the lights are on, and 
he says that he and the IT person did not get off to a great start. <laughs> I love when he shushes Kevin. He like shushes Kevin with his whole body yeah. while he's while he's crouched with like just such intensity. For any of our viewers that are sight impaired, Rob is a uh, gyrating great physical gyration of Michael and his <laughs> arm movement. That's true. <laughs> and uh, yeah, poor IT guy. So yeah, Michael assumed that the IT guy was a terrorist from the turban. Yep. And if you know anything about Sikhism, you can recognize that it's a Sikh, a, it's turban, a Sikh looks turban different. Right. Yeah, yeah it does. And uh, but yeah, you know, it's 2005, so I guess 9/11 was a little fresher. It's true. In uh, yeah, the American psychology than it is now. Consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people that are in college now, starting college, their freshman year, you know, weren't even alive for 2001, yeah. some of them, so. It's true. Lots changed. Anyhow, uh, that aside, we cut to the IT guy who's now infiltrated Michael's office <laughs> and is going through his computer. Yes. And uh, it looks like Michael uh, was trying to install something, and he's just, we don't know what he was trying to install, but he's giving the IT guy excuses, saying he tried to do it himself, but they've got everything so password protected and <laughs> locked down. And uh, the IT guy asks Michael what his password is and then picks a sticky note up off the side of his monitor, <laughs> says it's, it's one, two, three, four. <laughs> Puts it in. And uh, I put in my notes that it's like the combination an idiot would have on their luggage, but actually it's worse. I think that was one, two, three, four, five. Oh, in Spaceballs, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> way more security. <laughs> That's great. So uh, yeah, he puts in the password, and uh, next thing we see is Michael leaving his office, and he gets ambushed by Dwight, and we've got a clip. Sorry. Please don't do that. Okay, I'm sorry. What is going on in there? Why is he here? What are you doing? I can't tell you. You have to tell me. I don't me. have to tell you anything. Look, Michael, I know you don't want to have to think about this, but if something were to happen to you, God forbid, then I would need to know in order to take over. Dwight, nothing is going to happen to me, okay? I'm in the best shape of my life. Look at this. Yeah, but that doesn't strong. matter. You could get a brain aneurysm. I'm not going to get or hit brain. by a car. Stop. Or a bus or a train. Get poisoned, fall down a well, step on a mine, choke. Not, oh, okay, if I step on a mine in Scranton, Pennsylvania and die, you can have my job, okay? Why don't you just go away? <laughs> <laughs> you think there's a lot of mines in Scranton, no, Pennsylvania? Definitely not. <laughs> I like that Dwight throws that in. All right. <laughs> Seems more likely to me that Michael would be killed by staring up at an icicle from directly beneath it. I think the only mines you would find in Scranton, PA, are on Dwight's beet farm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what he has in mind. Right. <laughs> All right, so from here we uh, cut to a talking head with Michael where he's explaining there's certain things a manager doesn't share with his employees. Uh, his salary, it would depress them. His bed, to which he chuckles after saying. You know what's funny about that? Is what's that? Michael's salary is revealed. In an episode in the future, and <laughs> it pretty much does the opposite of depress his employees. His yep. employees end up laughing <laughs> at his salary. 
I love Daryl's reaction to when he sees it. It's like a squeal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is what you making? <laughs> Snaps a shot with his cell phone. Yeah, I'm going to send this to Roy. This will cheer him up. <laughs> uh, oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and what else does he not share with his employees? Uh, he's not going to be telling them that he is going to be reading their emails. Hmm. You know what? I I always assumed before this watch through that this was corporate giving managers access to their employees' emails, but we never we never hear anybody say that that is what's happening. So do we assume that this is just Michael acting on his own? I would assume it's corporate if anything just because Michael clearly didn't know the IT guy was coming. Based That's on his true. reaction. That's and true. granted, this isn't officially in the episode, but in the deleted scenes that we watched, uh, we see Toby explain that he already assumed Michael had been doing email surveillance prior to this episode, so right. he only uses his personal email. Right. So, uh, but it's a pretty standard thing. I think most companies, you know, that are oh, yeah. of any decent size have email monitoring. I set mean, up. maybe not in 2005, though. That's true. Potentially yeah. not. And it's also funny to me that employees would be using their business email for their personal stuff anyway. Yeah, that is weird. In the deleted scenes we see of him going through people's emails, he uh, he sees things that aren't even necessarily being sent to or from people in the office. Right. Well, I guess from, but not to. Yeah, yeah. Like Jim's CD he got on Amazon that he was trying to return. Yeah. You know? It's just... I mean, maybe people in 2005 didn't really see a need to have their own personal email address if they already had one at work. That could be too. It was a different time. Although it wasn't that different time. I I feel like when did Gmail come out? Not too far either before or after that. It was after it might've been 2005 or 2006. Okay. And now everybody has a Gmail address. It's true. So I guess if people didn't want to use their, their Yahoo. Yeah. They could have used uh, their company email. Right. Or maybe, you know, just without having smartphones or anything like that, it would be too much of a hassle to juggle a private email and your work email for most people. That's true. Except for Toby. <laughs> but, yeah, it is an interesting thought. Um, so where were we? Cut to Michael and the IT guy again. They're back in Michael's office, and Michael is asking how to search keywords. Uh, the IT guy brings it up to show him, and Michael's first suggestion is to search for profits. And then before I think he even types in the word profits, he says, no, no, search for Michael Scott. And he says, no, search for Michael, boss, and funny. <laughs> and uh, the first thing that pops up is an email from Stanley, and Michael gets very excited. He says, oh, Stanley, he's a terribly nice guy. And he reads out the email, and it says, uh, sorry, I'm going to have to cancel plans to go to the game because my boss, Michael, is making me stay late. <laughs> and uh, he's an ass. <laughs> Michael says, oh, well, Stanley's an ass, <laughs> not one of our harder workers. <laughs> Immediately turns the tables. Yeah. And uh, we see Michael emerge from his office again, and he is immediately confronted by Oscar, who asks why he's spying on their emails. Michael tries to deflect. He says, Oscar is crazy. 
And he starts to do a robot shtick. Says, next thing you're going to tell me is that I'm a robot. (laughs) Yeah. Starts doing the robot. And, uh... Beep, beep, boop. Oil (laughs) can. Oil can. (laughs) Doesn't work, though. He uh, gets cut off, and Oscar tells him that IT sent out an email about them doing surveillance. (laughs) Dwight and Stanley both, uh, protest. And get upset, which uh, is interesting because, I mean, besides that they've been pretty clear about dropping big hints, especially in this episode about Dwight and Angela being in a relationship, Mm -hmm. Dwight seems like he would be the first person to defend email surveillance in any circumstance other than one that could personally affect him, you know, because Dwight is all about authoritarianism. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Um, so Michael tries to downplay their criticisms and says, you know, he thinks the problem is that when people hear big brother, they think it's a bad thing when all Michael thinks is, I love my big brother. (laughs) He does not have a big brother. Pretty sure he doesn't. No. Yeah. He's an only child. Although I feel like he does bring up having a sister at some point, but then we never come back to that or hear about it ever again. Right. So maybe Michael in his fantasy land, you know, he has a brother and a sister when he needs them in reference to something. (laughs) Just like in this episode, he talks a bunch about being in college when we find out definitively later he never went to college. It's true. And earlier, actually, when he's talking about Ryan going to business school, he talks about how he never went to college. You know who else didn't go to college? (laughs) LeBron James, Kobe (laughs) Bryant, Tracy McGrady. (laughs) So it's it's not the same thing at all. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, after this, we get a talking head with Kevin where he is saying that he needs to delete a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. <laughs> and then we cut to Dwight standing near Pam's desk with Angela telling her quietly that if she has any sensitive emails, she should delete them. Immediately. Yes. Uh, Pam takes notice and calls Jim over to tell him what she overheard, and they both wonder about what that means, and then imagine it, and then both kind of descend into, ew, ew, no, no, no way, (laughs) (laughs) Pam visibly, like, shudders at one point. Yep. Yeah. But then after that, she goes, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think Kevin... Uh, saying that he has a ton of emails to delete has something to do with his, not money laundering, but <laughs> what would you call that? I don't know if he's doing that yet, but maybe. Yeah. I assume it has more to do with porn. Insider trade. Yeah, you're probably Kevin right. just looks at it. I mean, he's also, you got to think where Kevin's off, where his desk is in the office. He has a wall behind him. He's tucked into the corner. So out of everyone in the office, he could just be looking at porn for half the day and nobody would notice. and. The only reason I also assume it's porn and not any kind of thievering, thieving is when he brings his fiance's daughter into work, he has a talking head where he says that she's on his computer and then he thinks about it for half a second and freaks out. That's and right. runs back there to try to stop her. Oh, man. And when Saber takes over the company and they meet, meet Nick, the new IT man, uh, and they find out that he's going around installing uh, company software and blocking, you know, time distracting websites and going through everyone's computer. Kevin 
breaks into a mad dash back to his desk and gets halfway there before <laughs> Nick tells him, I already got to you, Kev. <laughs> He says, yeah, oh, okay, you know, I just, I run sometimes. <laughs> so I, I assume it's that, you know, especially yeah. since he never gets fired. If anybody, you know, saw that he was stealing from the company, I feel like the repercussions would be worse than him just freaking out and nothing happening. Yeah, true. Fair enough. Yeah, that's my thoughts. Man, if only Angela knew what he was doing on those monitors. Yeah, and actually, you know what? Uh, we do hear that he did look at tons of porn at work officially in the finale, series finale. Oh. Dwight tells him his computer was so filthy they just had to throw it away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or the con, yeah, the content on his computer. Uh-huh. <laughs> Kevin is uh, he's Kevin, kind of a pervert. <laughs> yeah. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with porn, but. If he's freaking, I mean, watching at it, work, watching it at work, in a room full of people, yeah, that's weird. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, uh, from here we get to talking head with Pam, and she says how it's kind of like squishing a spider under a book. You know, it's going to be really, really gross, but you need to look at it just to make sure it's dead. Yep. And then she asks the camera crew to keep an eye out and uh, let her know if they see anything. The camera crew plays. Quite a large role in this episode. They really do. It's kind of appropriate that the theme of the episode is surveillance, though. That's true. You know, to have them play more of a, you know, character role than other episodes. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Kind of highlighting them as surveilling the office crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just thought I'd point that out. Yeah, I dig it. It's on theme. It is. Yeah. Yeah, from here we get a scene of Pam having a conversation with Dwight, and I believe we have a clip. Hey, Dwight. Um, my friend is kind of into these two girls that he works with. Nice. One is tall and brunette, and the other one is short and blonde and perky and kind of judgmental. Who do you think he should choose? Does he have access to their medical records? Um, I think one of the greatest things about modern America is the computerization of medical records. As a volunteer sheriff, I can look up anyone's psychiatric records or surgical histories, yeast infections. There are a huge number of yeast infections in this county. Probably because we're downriver from that old bread factory. <laughs> So we can probably assume here that Dwight has looked up Angela's medical history. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that, but probably. Including her diagnoses every time she went to a doctor for a yeast infection. (laughs) But at least he knows it has nothing to do with personal hygiene. Yeah. Probably because of that old bread factory. old bread factory. (laughs) Oh, Dwight. Yet again, seemingly perplexed by the mysteries of female anatomy (laughs) (laughs) or i guess he doesn't think he's perplexed at all he thinks he's got a pretty good handle on things yeah yeah well (laughs) yeast infections aside um we go to michael back in his office where he is surveilling emails and it's too bad some of the deleted scenes of him doing this didn't make it into the episode because there's some great stuff 
there's uh what was it the scene with him where he goes to Jim's desk yeah. <laughs> talks about the Amazon CD mistake right tells him he should have just canceled his card called Visa well yeah I called Visa and had them cancel the transaction yep yeah instead of just emailing back and forth <laughs> taking up space on his computer yep <laughs> it's like one or two kilobytes maybe if it's even stored locally at all a lot That's of email true. isn't <laughs> Michael uh, sees that Meredith has an evite from Jim about a barbecue at his place tonight. He turns to the camera says, where's my invite? (laughs) (laughs) Tonight. He looks at the guest list and sees there are 14 people invited. He reads off a few names, you know, Kelly, Creed, Meredith. Yeah, pretty much everybody except for him. Mm -hmm. He does not seem very happy. Uh, from here, we cut to the break room, and we see Pam running into Angela at the vending machines. Looks like she's waiting in line behind her, mm-hmm. and asks Angela if she's going to bring anybody to the barbecue. Angela says no, and asks if she was supposed to, and then she gets her baby Ruth out of the vending machine, and when Pam moves to take her place at the vending machine, Angela takes out more money and purchases a second baby Ruth. Yes. Which leads Pam to look at the camera very excitedly and, mm-hmm. you know, put up two fingers and, you know, kind of mouth the words that she's getting two. Yep. And, uh... Angela's very cold. It's just funny that they're both, at this point, even friends. Like, friendly off-screen. Yeah. And it's it's amazing how catty they are with one another when the cameras are on. Mm-hmm. I just... It's funny to think about it in those terms now. Yeah. Because when I'm watching, I'm like, <laughs> you're like, damn, Angela. <laughs> That's a cold shoulder if I've ever seen one. But And Angela's yeah. so good. I, I feel like there's like an episode much later on where they're talking about wedding invitations or something, and they start to relate, and Pam brings up something, and Angela, you know, completely reaffirms it, and she has an empathetic tone in her voice. She's like, I know! It's exactly like that, and Pam goes to sit down and moves Angela's bag out of the chair, and Angela immediately is just like, Pam, my bag was there. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) But yeah, they have a great relationship. A lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So yeah, from here we have another talking head with Michael, where he is explaining that there's a gulf between bosses and their employees. It's nature's rule. It's intimidation, mostly. You know, it's the awareness that they're not him. While he's talking, we get a little clip montage of him with a little hand puppet that's a punching hand puppet. Yeah. And he's messing with Kevin and his jar of M&Ms. He's punching Ryan. He's knocking papers off Angela's desk. Yeah, and her little decorations on the cubicle yep. and stuff. Yeah. And uh, they all look very irritated. <laughs> and he's, he's just... Not, I mean, giggling. Yeah, pretty much. he's just, just having a great time. Yeah. It's like the yeah. same as after he submits his two weeks and he's going around just slapping a sticky hand on people's papers on their desks <laughs> right. and pulling them away and laughing <laughs> as he drinks scotch and Splenda on the other hand. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he just, you know, it's it's Michael's playhouse. That's the office. Yeah. And he treats it as such. It's true. <laughs> so he says that, uh, you know, if they... If they don't think they can approach him, he needs to be even more approachabler. <laughs> so he goes to sit down to lunch with Pam, Jim, Kevin, and Oscar. 
Uh, Kevin asks, as he's sitting, if he's going to sit with them, and uh, he says yes. He's got his cup of noodles. <laughs> it's a meal in a cup. Brain food. <laughs> he says it takes him back to college, <laughs> which he definitely did not go to. Right. He reminisces about all of his good times in college and how, you know, the best part was the parties and how everyone got invited to the parties, even the professors. <laughs> And the lunch ladies. And the lunch ladies. And Pam questions him. The professors went to the parties. Michael says, yeah, they were the most fun. I do have to say, as funny as this is, and as like, you know, ridiculous as his statements are, and Pam's questioning making sense. Yeah. You know, you and I, we were friends throughout pretty much all of college. Mm-hmm. We both went to a lot of parties. Yeah. I feel like we definitely did go to some parties that professors were at. From time to time. And they were usually pretty fun. Yeah. It was usually kind of, I feel like it was more like when a small school, like the film school was graduating or something. It was like a graduating Mm. party. Right. But I definitely remember a number of parties drinking with middle-aged people. They were just letting it all hang out. It's true. Yeah. So Michael is not as off base here as Pam seems to think he is, I have to say. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Just thought that was worth bringing up. Yeah. Professors are fun at a party. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, anyway, while Michael is going on about this, Jim looks at the camera with a classic Jim face that he knows exactly what's going on. Right. This is the first that he becomes aware that Michael is aware now of his party. Right. And he knew about the email surveillance. He probably just didn't put two and two together. And now it's, it's there. Yep. And it's also funny because as Michael's talking about all this, like, after Jim looks at the camera, Michael kind of, like, side-eyes Jim a little bit at the table right mm-hmm. before the camera cuts away. <laughs> Subtlety is not one of Michael's strong suits. No. Uh, from here, we cut to Jim by himself with the cameras, and he is explaining that he has three cases of imported beer, a karaoke machine, and he didn't invite Michael. <laughs> three ingredients for a great party. <laughs> He uh, doesn't think people would be able to relax if Michael was there, and he also wants to be able to introduce his roommate to Dwight, who thinks that Jim made him up. (laughs) But unfortunately, Dwight is real. All too real. real. (laughs) I love his performance as he's as he gives that line. Yeah, I feel like he almost does like kind of a half shudder. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's real distressed. (laughs) Does a good job at it. He does. And uh, from here, we are cut back to the office to Pam's desk where she's just, you know, doing her work. And the camera guy gets her attention, or woman. We don't know who's behind the camera. It's true. Uh, Camera person gets her attention and raises it to Dwight, who is eating a baby Ruth bar. And Pam gets very excited and thanks the camera. And uh, from here, it is almost quitting time. And we've got a clip. Before we play this clip, I want to just bring up uh, this deleted scene that I feel like would have naturally only been able to, I guess it would have replaced this maybe, or been before it, that was fantastic. So good. Yeah, Michael comes out of his office and grabs the chair from next to his office door, Yeah, drags it over to the, you know, Jim and Dwight's desk nook. Has taken off his tie. Yep. (laughs) Dwight asks him where his tie is. I don't know. I don't know. Took it off at some point. (laughs) Just trying to be casual. It's 
one of the guys. Yep. And uh, you can tell he's really trying hard to get an invite to this party. He's saying that he's no different than anybody else. And uh, it just culminates in this very long, hilarious conversation where Dwight is just, you know, of course, just infinitely concerned with whatever Michael is thinking and trying to say. And they just end up having this very close quarters conversation that Jim is just constantly directly in the center of, yeah. even though he's not participating. And by the end, like they're <laughs> they're both sitting on either side of Jim's desk. Yep. <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that Michael, when he sits down in the chair, he kicks his feet up on the end of Dwight's desk, and then he says something <laughs> to Jim and realizes that Jim's monitor is obscuring his yeah, view. Yeah, he just slaps the monitor sideways <laughs> so that he has a full view of Jim, but... Jim can't even see the front of his monitor anymore. (laughs) That was so good. Yeah, it's great. But I guess instead of that, uh, I wish they had managed to squeeze it in somewhere. Uh, That was a great scene. Yeah, it was. We have this clip of everyone leaving for the day. Question. On the internet, there are several different options to get to your house for the party tonight. Oh, uh, I was wondering. Keep that down. Why? Because not everybody. Like who? Who doesn't know? Um, Michael. Why just Michael? Because it's a surprise. Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's perfect. So don't tell. I won't. Okay. So, Dwight thinks that tonight is a surprise party for Michael. Really? That's great. Maybe we can get him to hide and wait somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you know, it's being which I was just trying to get an handle on, um, you know, numbers and for food and stuff. So do you think Roy's going to come? Or? Oh, no, he can't make it. Oh, okay, cool. Hey there. Hey. Oh, almost quitting time. Yep, it's uh, four o'clock. One more hour. Take care of anything you forgot to do. Hey, you know, I don't know if you have any plans tonight, but if you don't, we could hang out. Oh, um, I can't. You have plans? Mm-hmm, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. You do? Big plans. I do, yeah. Because you just said that you wanted tonight, to hang out? I can't do it tonight. Okay. No, improv class. I have improv class, hanging out with my improv really? buds. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, it's the best. It is the best. I would not miss it for the world. But if something else came up, I would definitely not go. Improv sounds great. It is. Okay. All right. <coughs> what? I think Stanley just coughed. Hey, Pam. Do you need me to walk you to your vehicular transport? No, thanks. All right. Oscar, get big plans tonight with you. I'm on a call. Okay. Kevin, big man, big man. What are you doing tonight? Where are you off to? My brother is in town, and we are going to see the Alaska Film Festival at the site. All right. Hey, Angela, rushy, rushy. Where are you rushing off to? I'm just leaving for the day. Yeah, well, duh. Where are you headed? Charity. Bake drive. Liar! You are a liar. No, I'm not. <sighs> Dwight! Oh, Dwight, my loyal compadre. You and I are hanging tonight. The two of us. We are celebrating 
our freedom and our manhood. You know what? Why don't we watch that show that you've been wanting to watch? That stupid Battleship Galaxy. Battlestar Galactica. That's whatever stupid I show you want to watch. We're watching tonight. it. Unfortunately, I've got plans. I have to go to practice. Soccer practice. I didn't know you played soccer, Dwight. Clarinet. You too, Dwight. Have fun tonight, whatever it is that you're doing, and I'll see you Monday. He has no idea. <laughs> I love that right at the very end there, you see uh, Michael just standing off in the distance in the back of the office, just alone. Yep. <laughs> That was a good decision by Paul Feig. It was. Yeah. <laughs> I love that he just ambushes everybody as they leave, just <laughs> one by one. I know. That's <laughs> uh, great. I like that Angela's excuse is she's going to a bake drive at 5 p.m. for charity. <laughs> right. <laughs> Weird time. It is. <laughs> Liar! <laughs> no. No, I'm not. <laughs> Probably the most defensive we've ever heard Angela. Yeah. So yeah, from here we cut to an exterior shot of, I guess, Jim's house. People are walking inside. We see Jim who calls an announcement uh, for everyone to listen to him for a second. He says there is wine in the kitchen and beer on the porch. And contrary to what people seem to think, it's not all for Meredith and Kelly. So please enjoy. (laughs) Uh, Dwight barges inside uh, very frantically. Mm -hmm. And... Holds up a rock, asking Jim if he thinks that having a hide a key rock is a good idea. Uh, I do you think? How did he find this? Did he just decide to look? Does he look wherever he goes? Dwight probably has an inventory of all of the hide a key rocks just filed away in his brain. Oh, that makes a lot of sense actually. And he just <laughs> noticed one on the ground. It's just like oh, yep. Jim. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I can think. That makes. A lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 100% with you on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as Dwight is uh, asking about the Heideki Rock, Jim's roommate stands up and says, you must be Dwight, <laughs> uh, which confuses Dwight. He says, how do you know who I am? You don't work with us. <laughs> Jim tells him that uh, that's his roommate. And uh, Jim's roommate, who I don't think we ever even find out his name. He's just Jim's roommate. Yeah. Uh, compliments Dwight on his Birkenstocks. And Dwight says, oh, thanks. He holds up his feet and wiggles his toes. And uh, you can see he's wearing a pair of decorative socks underneath them. <laughs> he says he always keeps a pair in the car for special occasions. Because, <laughs> of course, he does. <laughs> uh, it's also worth pointing out. Unless it happens later. I want to say it happens right when Angelo arrives to the party. Okay. She says that she complains. She's like, oh, I got sap on my shoe. And the camera pans down and looks at her shoes real quick. Oh, interesting. She's wearing Crocs because we see her shoes later in the Ah, episode. Ah, so they make it a point to show her shoes. Yes. That makes sense. I didn't even notice it. I feel like these are the little things you... Don't notice when you already know, you know, what they're showing you later. Right. It's true. Yeah. Good catch. Yeah. So now we know the footwear of both Dwight and Angela. We do. Yes. That's going to be important the rest of the episode. Uh, So, yeah. Um, Pam arrives to Jim's delight. She walks in alone and Jim tells her that she is just in time for the tour. He uh, gathers 
everyone, not everyone, it's a like few five people together. People, yeah. yeah, I think Phyllis, maybe Stanley, Ryan, Ryan. Creed. Yep. Yeah. And uh, gives them a little, you know, Disney tour guide spiel about uh, flash photography being prohibited, you know, trying not to touch anything. Even though you may want to. Yep. Gives them a little overview of, you know, they're going to be checking out the bedrooms, maybe pop their head into the bathroom if they have a chance. Mm Mm-hmm. Ryan asks if Katie's coming. Jim says he hasn't spoken to her in a little while. And Ryan asks if he could call her. And Jim says, uh, we can talk about that later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I like that this is uh, the beginning of an ongoing kind of perpetual trend almost. Yeah. Until Jim gets married of Ryan just constantly. A little rivalry in the romantic department. But it's only a completely one-sided rivalry. And and I don't even think that either of them really see it as a rivalry. I feel like it's just Ryan is perpetually late to the boat. Ryan probably sees it a little bit as a rivalry. I think Jim sees it as just like an annoying little brother kind of thing. Yeah, but I don't even... I don't see Ryan as like... He doesn't seem to even take it personally like it's Jim doing anything. It's just like I feel like even... You know, seasons later where he awkwardly asks out Pam. Yeah. And, you know, he uh, tells them that they're together, or she tells him that she's with Jim now. And he's just like, you got to be kidding me. It's like every single person that <laughs> Ryan is interested in, Jim is already with. And right. He's just like, oh, I'm like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like they're never, like, ever really competing for anybody's affections. It's always just... That's true. Ryan being like, hey, I like this person. What's her deal? Oh, she's dating Jim. Oh, of course she is. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't she be? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's still a funny dynamic, and this is definitely the first we see of it. Um, so yeah, from here we get a glimpse of what Michael is doing, and he is at the aforementioned improv class that... <laughs> He would never miss unless something else came up, and then he would definitely not go. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> okay, let's get right into it. I need two people for the first ooh, scene. Ooh, 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 Mr. Carter. Mr. Carter. Okay, Michael, and anybody? How about Mary Beth? <laughs> Come on. Okay, so you start us off, Mary Beth. La 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 la. Boom! Detective Michael's card! I'm with the FBI! Think about this. What is the most exciting thing that can happen on TV or in movies or in real life? Somebody has a gun. That's why I always start with a gun, because you can't top it. You just can't. I'm supposed to meet my doctor here. Have you seen him? He's a very angry midget. Boom! Freeze! Michael Schoon, FBI. You know what you did. Yeah, you thought you could get away with your little ruse, didn't you? Didn't you? Well, you didn't, because I know where you hid the diamonds. I've been on to you and your little friends for weeks. Boo! 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 I'm not even in the scene! Boo! Stop! Stop! They're not... Stop! Boo! Okay, she shot me. Great. Stop. Why? Okay, you can't just shoot everyone in the scene. Well, if you hadn't stopped the scene, you would have seen where it was going. Okay, what about the scene they set up? Boring. No, it wasn't. No more guns. No, no. Michael? Why don't you give me all the guns you have? Just get rid of all your guns and give them to me. Great. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, just for anybody listening, uh, kind of a bunch of visual gags that were in there to bring up. 
um mm-hmm. how you know michael just immediately when he improvises uh how when he gets called nobody else wants to do the scene everybody is purposefully averting their eyes from making eye contact with the improv coach mm-hmm. and uh how yeah he just kicks down the door every time the invisible door and comes in with a gun and I also wanted to bring up when he's giving away all of his guns to the improv teacher, he unstraps an invisible gun from just about every part of his body. Yeah. <laughs> he's got like 15 guns on his person. Yeah. And after the 15th, he just kind of goes, blah, and yeah. throws his hands up in the air like, all right, here's the rest of them. I don't care anymore. <laughs> and I, I also like the improv coach has a deep enough understanding of what kind of person Michael is. That it's not enough to tell him to stop pulling out imaginary guns on everyone. He has to make Michael give him his imaginary guns in between improv scenes. That's hilarious. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but you're right. <laughs> it's the only way to make it stick. This is also the first time we ever see Michael in a group setting outside of the office where he has no authority. Right. And just seeing like how, uh, how his peers treat him. Mm-hmm. You know? Or, or perceive him and he still has to try to dominate the setting you know he oh yeah he doesn't come out with a gun because he thinks it's necessarily fun or entertaining he does it because you can't top it you can't like top it yeah exactly it's the most exciting thing that could happen he, he wants to bring that most exciting needs thing. to steal the show yep yeah. <laughs> and then also the uh the boom boom <laughs> how he proceeds to shoot everybody in the improv class Right. Even people that are just sitting off to the side and the improv coach when he comes up to stop him at the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like Michael knows what's coming, but doesn't want to deal with it. Yep. And it, we should mention that he doesn't have any speaking lines and he's very much just in the background during these scenes. But Wyatt Sinek is one of the improv students. Right. Yeah. And even in the deleted scene, I don't know if he had any speaking scene. I think he was just he standing. did a little. No, okay. he did a little bit. Uh, the teacher, like Michael, was taking a break off to the side, and Wyatt Snack and his partner were about to start a scene, and Michael was miming to them in the background oh, with, right. with guns. Wyatt Snack uh, rats him out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very small line, but he still speaks a little bit. Right. So yeah, from here we go back to the party where it looks like the tour has finished and Jim walks into his room to find Pam looking through his things. Snooping around. Yep. Surveilling Jim's room, if you will. Surveillance all over the place. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) But it is true. It is. Um, Yeah, Pam, or Jim, walks in and uh, jokes he thought they lost someone. And uh, yeah, he officially shows Pam his room. She uh, takes note of his desk, his home office, and uh, he sits down at it, and she tries to sit down where she would be in relation, you know, to where they sit in the office. Right. It's right next to his bed, and looks like she sits on his nightstand. Yeah. And uh, he says, yeah, it looks about right, and she starts to say where Dwight would be, and he cuts her off, says, no, Dwight, you know, this is a happy place. (laughs) (laughs) Happy thoughts. Yep. (laughs) Happy thoughts, Pam. And uh, then she notices his yearbook, gets very excited, runs over to grab it. Jim says, yeah, it's not going to be awkward at all. (laughs) And uh, she, credit to Pam, I don't know how she did it, but she immediately found his picture. It took her about half a second. It's true. 
She laughs and says, ah, you were so dorky. <laughs> and also, he looks pretty dorky. He looks like he's wearing like a a sailor's getup with an ascot. He does look like he was wearing a sailor's getup like, with an ascot. What was he wearing? It was ROTC high school. I don't know. <laughs> Shore leave edition? I guess. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange look. So I have a couple notes on this I, scene. I noticed you added that. Yeah, I saw that. I forgot to throw yeah. it into my notes. So Call of Duty is sitting on Jim's desk, or at least some expansion pack of it. And we actually see it later in the episode, right. too. Yeah, yeah. Toby's yeah. playing it with somebody. Uh-huh. And uh, next season, not to spoil anything, but Call of Duty is being played... And Jim is involved, and he claims that he had never played it before. And based on how he's playing, it seems like he's never played it before. Very true. So I don't know what that game's doing there. Yeah. Maybe it's his roommates. You know, he either picked it up by mistake or was looking at it and just left it there. Who knows? Yeah, it's possible. I still don't see how it would end up in his bedroom. but That's true. Although, you know, considering the way we see it later in this episode, it's being played on, like, an Xbox or a PlayStation. Right. It's possible that if Jim has never played any games on PC, he would have problems with the controls. You're still not going to be running and jumping into a corner. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> or being confused about not being necessarily, like, that he the could team. have been on the German team. Right. So, yeah. There's also, on his uh, cork board hanging above his desk. Right. This is what... Yeah. Uh, this was crazy when I when I read this one. There's... Essentially like a G.I. Joe-esque action figure uh-huh. dressed in a Dunder Mifflin warehouse uniform mm-hmm. hanging by a noose right, pinned to his corkboard above his desk. It's his Roy Voodoo doll. Yeah. <laughs> kind of crazy. It is. It's a fun little detail to have just been thrown in the gym's bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. I personally disagree with it being... Roy, like some people interpreted it to be. But, no, uh, yeah. I see it more as just if Dunder Mifflin made action figures for some reason. I mean, I could see the director maybe, you know. I don't think it was ever supposed to be really noticed, but I don't see why he would have it there other than as just kind of like a subliminal message. Oh, okay. Kind of like just a subliminal thing you put in the background that... I don't know. Maybe if people notice it subconsciously, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I could just see a director adding that little detail. Yeah, I think it's a fun detail. Yeah. Jim doesn't strike me as the type of person who would wish death on Roy. No, I mean, my personal take on it, because I could see myself doing it if I was in a similar circumstance, was if I worked for a company, they made action figures for whatever reason, promotional, you get them one year christmas or part of a christmas gift something stupid you know yeah and they don't have uniforms besides for warehouse workers so you know that would be the one that they make an action figure out of just generic warehouse worker right if you don't like your job what would be the best thing you can do with that action figure uh, you put a little noose around it and you hang it on your desk as just like go. a it's like a depressing version of a bobble i like right, that you know i like that theory because i feel like if i was given yeah an action figure from a job that i didn't love that's like one of the only things I could picture myself doing with it. Yeah. Like making a makeshift noose and just being like, yeah, he killed himself because this company sucks. I mean, if we learned anything about you from Office Olympics, you'd probably just throw it away seconds after it was handed to you. 
Oh, it's an action figure. <laughs> really? I I keep that. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. not like paper. You know, if it was like a card or something, I'd throw that away seconds after it was handed to me. Or, or a yogurt a lid. Yogurt lid. <laughs> okay. But if it was like something that, you know, some work went into and it was like a quirky, weird little thing, I could see holding on to that, like posing it ironically somehow. Yeah. All right. You don't know me, Rob. <laughs> well, I just, you know, you, you threw in the part where it, you said a job you hate. So. Yeah. Well, I was just kidding. You know me pretty well. Yeah. Maybe too well. This <laughs> friendship is over. <laughs> <laughs> so from here, we cut back to Michael, still at improv, and we have another clip because, you know, it's just it's yeah. too good to pass up. There's no way we could just talk about his improv scenes. No. No. Wouldn't do it justice. Right. Freeze. I'm in. Do you want to go over the rules one more time? No, 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 no. I'm looking in my wallet for money so you can tell me my fortune. I promise it's worth it. Ooh, I can see you walking out of here and you're thrilled with your reading. <laughs> what are you... Michael, what did you tell him? Nothing. Then why are his hands up? Bill? He told me he couldn't show it to me, but he has a gun. Okay, let's call it a day. Nice job. Good. That's good. Good work, everybody. <laughs> good work, everybody. <laughs> told me he couldn't show it to me, but he has a gun. <laughs> and I also like that it tracks with, uh, you know, what we were talking about with Michael disarming his imaginary guns. Mm-hmm. That I think Michael is, you know, fully ingrained in the imaginative process enough that he doesn't have an imaginary gun. So the best <laughs> he can do is claiming to have one. <laughs> or else he would have just pulled it out. Right. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so yeah, let's take a second to talk about Bill, the fortune teller. Well, or <laughs> almost fortune teller. Right. Um, yeah, kind of an early uh, sighting of someone who's pretty well known at this point. Actor Ken Jong. I have his full name here. I don't even know if I should try it. Kendrick Kengjo Jong. That wasn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Now we're going to get him on the show. He's the first person whose name we've gotten right. <laughs> first thing he's going to do is tell us how we didn't. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ken Jong was born July 13th, 1969. He is a comedian, an actor, and a physician. He is probably best known for playing Ben Chang in Community, which is amazing, as well as that character. I highly recommend to any of our viewers who have not seen it or listened to it. It's got the out-of-paper double stamp of approval. It does. Uh, he also portrayed the gangster Leslie Chow in the Hangover film series. He was the lead in the ABC sitcom Dr. Ken, as well as the creator, writer, and executive producer. And in real life, he, as we mentioned, is a licensed physician. Ah, physician. I can speak. <laughs> it's funny, because your your father was a licensed physician. Yeah. <laughs> but I never said that. Apparently generally. not. <laughs> <laughs> I just said my dad is a doctor. Doctor, yeah. yeah. Um, and he currently is a panelist on the singing competition, The Masked Singer. It looks like Ken Jong. uh... Kind of splashed onto the comedy scene first in 1995 when he won the Big Easy Laugh Off, 
of which NBC president Brandon Tarkikoff and the improv founder Bud Friedman were judges, and they both told him he should move to L.A. He did move to L.A. He began performing at the Improv and Laugh Factory, and he practiced medicine for several years as a physician at Kaiser Permanente Hospital in Woodland Hills. It's a good way to fund your your comedy career. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> <laughs> Most comedians don't have that cushy of a fallback job. No. Well, I guess it's not a cushy job so much as it is cushy pay. Yeah, it's a high-paying job. Certainly not an easy or low-effort job. No. If anything, I would imagine that as stressful and insanely strenuous and difficult and mentally exhausting as working in comedy seems to be, and it does, I feel like being a doctor is still more of all of those things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's you know a lot higher stakes. Absolutely. If you bomb at a nightclub... Nobody dies, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it looks like he uh, originally started in theater and improv when he was still a medical student in North Carolina. He got started with open mics. He emceed a bunch of different comedy spots. He opened for Margaret Cho, Jeff Dunham, uh, and he has you know been in The Office, obviously, Entourage, Curb Your Enthusiasm. His film debut was in Judd Apatow's Knocked Up as Dr. Cooney. <laughs> which was pretty great yeah it wasn't on screen much but it was memorable yes and uh from there he transitioned from medicine to working in the entertainment industry ironically as a doctor in a movie full time yeah it looks like yeah a bunch of other stuff he's been in pineapple express role models all about steve the goods couples retreat live hard sell hard uh zookeeper transformers the dark moon <laughs> really apparently Wow. I haven't seen Transformers The Dark Moon. Have you seen any of the Transformers? I saw the first one. True. Yeah. Just a glorified dubstep music video. It was. <laughs> I enjoyed it, though. No, I know. I'm just... I mean, not enough to watch any of the other ones, but right. I dug it at the time. Really just because Megan Fox was in it, wasn't it? I mean, it certainly didn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that was before she got a whole bunch of plastic surgery, too. Yeah. And she still, I mean... Nah. She's... I feel like she, in my opinion, looked better prior to plastic surgery. But I'd say she's one of the few people with extensive facial plastic surgery that doesn't look like a monster. So she's got that going for her. I beg to differ. You think she looks like a monster? Yeah. Really? I mean, she looks doesn't look like a person. I don't think anyone who gets a lot of work. No, I'm with you there. She kind of looks like a plastic figurine or something right yeah exactly yeah she had more character in her face before and she was yeah. still attractive weird right. choice it's amazing how many actresses get work done and their careers just plummet afterwards you'd think that they would look at other people who this has happened to and would decide against it yeah like look at meg ryan she got her face done and her career just vanished although what if it works out? Then like, you get a Sandra Bullock situation on your hands where you still look the same as you did 25 years ago, except it looks like your face was frozen by like a palsy, but you still look the same. I mean, like I, you have no range of movement in your face. I anymore. think you'd be surprised to look at young Sandra Bullock and Sandra Bullock today. They do not look the same. Fair enough. Yeah. And I, I feel like her career suffered. I mean, she's been in a lot of stuff, but I don't know. Yeah. She could have been in more. It's true. I feel like Joan Rivers is the only person who really pulled it off. 
Yeah, and I guess her me- method of doing it was calling attention to it nonstop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Used it to her advantage. I feel like it also worked out in Joan Rivers' favor that like she was never famous, at least as far as I can think of. Maybe I'm wrong. But I, I feel like her... Well, no, I mean, she was very famous, but I feel like her fame didn't necessarily stem from her appearance so much as it stemmed from her being hilarious, which she never stopped being, regardless of how many surgeries she got. True words were just spoken by you. Thanks. (laughs) Feels good to be validated. (laughs) But yeah, anyway, that is Ken Jeong. Great guy. Oh, I can't really say that. Earnestly, I don't know him, but friend of the show, Ken Jong. Friend of the show. <laughs> Next week we got Ken and uh Ken Quappy. It's gonna be a special episode called Jong and Quappy. <laughs> <laughs> so tune in for that. All right. So back to the episode. We are back at the barbecue. Jim offers Angela her choice of chicken, hot dog, or burger at the grill. She tells him she's a vegetarian. He tells her they're soda inside. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, We cut to indoors. Stanley and Oscar are talking about uh, the success of various Dunder Mifflin products. And Kelly interrupts them saying there's got to be something they can talk about besides work. And they just completely fall silent. Yeah. And they seem to be pretty enthusiastic in their conversation before she (laughs) broke it up. It's true. I mean, I've I've worked jobs where that's the case. I mean, yeah. If you, you know, don't, I mean... How often do we ever see Stanley and Oscar conversing in the show after this point? Maybe never. Yeah. I mean, I work, the people I work with now are really good about not talking shop outside of the shop. Yeah. Which but it nice. seems like you have yeah. common ground with those people that's not no, that's shop true. work, too. That's very true. Yeah. I feel like Oscar and Stanley are very different people. Yeah. It doesn't help that Oscar is not totally honest with these people about who he is. That's true. Yeah. So, but even if he was, I still don't see him having tons of common ground with Stanley specifically. <laughs> I don't know if anyone in the office would really. Maybe, no. maybe Toby. Maybe they could talk about Toby's romance detective novels. Oh God. Because <laughs> doesn't yeah, Stanley likes to hang out in his bath, drinking wine, reading his mysteries. So. Yeah, but he doesn't like sitting in his bath, drinking wine, reading Toby's mysteries. <laughs> Maybe. We don't know. Toby's stories about his oversexed black detective. <laughs> Stanley could be it. I mean, maybe that character is partially based off of Stanley. I mean, the oversexed and the black parts, yeah. I guess. They fit. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Pam notices that Dwight and Angela are, you know, kind of in the corner of the yard speaking to one another, separated from the rest of the people. Mm-hmm. And she goes inside and excitedly asks Phyllis if she's heard any rumors of office romances. I would like to point out what Angela was saying to Dwight while they oh, were outside. I missed it. What oh, was she saying? So she's holding a glass of wine, and she's, she's speaking to Dwight, and she says, Jesus drank wine. I think it's okay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> wow, was that, like, really quiet or something? I didn't. I don't even remember hearing that. Well, I got good speakers. Fair enough. <laughs> Nice. That's yeah. great. Good catch. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she asked Phyllis if she heard any rumors. Phyllis gets excited too and says, you tell me. And then says, uh, you're talking about you and Jim, right? 
And immediately, uh, the fun was taken out of it. Ooh, yeah, Pam. Pam's not having a good time anymore. No, and uh, Phyllis immediately notices the change of expression on her face and apologizes, saying, you know, she just assumed they're always hanging out together. Mm -hmm. She didn't mean anything by it. You know, Pam says it's no big deal, brushes it off very awkwardly and kind of rushes away. Mm -hmm. And then I see a note that you made here, and I'm wondering what that's about, because I did not notice this. So in this scene, when Phyllis is walking over to Pam, Uh we get a brief shot of Creed. This is the first scene we see Creed in where you can really see what shirt he's wearing. Okay. It's the same shirt that he gives as a white elephant gift in the next episode. Oh, to Jim? Yes. That's great. I know. Which means that after this party, Creed probably took the shirt off, put it in his car, <laughs> and then just grabbed it for the white elephant gift. That's for the awesome. Christmas episode, yeah. Although I, I believe Creed says he... Pulls it out of his closet, but well, yeah, that's that's Jim's guess that Creed confirms. Oh, is correct. yeah, there you go. Jim says my guess is he forgot that he had to get me something. He dug in the back of his closet and pulled out this little number and threw it <laughs> into a bag. And Creed says, "Yep, that's exactly what happened." <laughs> Jim's wearing the shirt as he says that, and the the sleeves like come up halfway to his up his forearm. Yep. <laughs> What I also noticed um, on a recent watch through of the series, I can't say specifically which party it is, if it's an in-office or out-of-office party, but after the White Elephant episode, there's another party where Creed is wearing that shirt yet again. No way. So, <laughs> seems like maybe either Jim got rid of it or Creed just like stole it back from him at some point. That'd be somehow. hilarious if Jim <laughs> threw it away and while Creed was dumpster diving... At the office complex, days later, he found it again. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of possibilities there. That's great. (laughs) So, yeah, after, uh, you know, Pam and Phyllis kind of break away from each other, we come back to improv, which is finally wrapping up. Everyone's leaving, and they're all talking about going to a bar together. And Michael tries to follow them to the bar, uh, saying, oh, we're all going here. And Bill comes forward and cuts them off, saying, no, they're not going together. It's someone's birthday celebration that they all know independently outside of improv <laughs> class. We all met them in different ways, but we all we all know them. Yep. <laughs> private thing. Yep. So Michael you know, tries to save face. He says, oh, he's got his own thing to go to, so he couldn't make it. But maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, pats Bill on the back. says, great work. And then as Bill's leaving, but still near him, mm-hmm. Michael turns the camera and says, not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, back at the party, we see now Phyllis is singing karaoke very timidly, which is kind of a funny sight, mm-hmm. but it's good to see her having fun. <laughs> um, and Jim sits down next to Pam to ask her how the investigation is going. And she says she dropped it. She thinks she was wrong. She was just grabs grasping at straws yeah and then we get a talking head with her where she's saying that uh you know people spending time together could just be friends and she thinks it was really unfair of her to assume that there was anything more than that going on she's like outside the party by the front door fidgeting with her necklace nervously as she talks to the cameras Mm -hmm. still very visibly uncomfortable by the fact that phyllis thought that her and jim had a little romance going yes and uh from here we go back into the party with our final clip of the episode. 
Just turn around now, cause you're not welcome anymore. And a grump, and I've got all my- Surprise! Not much. <laughs> Everybody! Wow, who opened the morgue for this thing? I'm just driving by, I thought I'd drop in. There's some wine. I would love a glass if you're gonna open it. Hello, temp. Take my jacket. <laughs> oh, come on, that guy? He is a good guy, not a terrorist. Karaoke, I love it. I am a karaoke fiend. I call dibs, I got next, I got next up. Come on, let's, let's get this party started. Ha! Okay, where's that wine? Okay, uh, this is a duet, so need somebody else. Pam, you wanna come up and uh, sing this one? Need somebody else. Takers, please. Baby, when I met you, there was peace unknown. Kelly? I tried to get you with a fine tooth comb. I was soft inside. There was something going on. This part goes to the uh, girl. You do something to me that I can't explain. Hold me closer and I feel no pain. Every beat of my heart, we got something going on. Tender love is blind. It requires a dedication. All this love we feel needs no conversation. Divided together, uh-huh. Making love with each other, uh-huh. We're making love. Islands in the stream, that is what we are. No one in between. How can we be wrong? <laughs> I love that in that clip there's two musical cues for that relate to what's going on in the show what are those so kevin's singing just turn around now you're not welcome anymore right as michael walks in i never thought about that and there's another when jim is singing with michael when he's singing the line making love with each other he winks at pam oh wow yeah well done paul feig right you know, don't listen to what people say about your Ghostbusters. You know, you're a great director. <laughs> you know, when everybody talked about Woody or, or what's his face, uh, Woody Allen, all that controversy over how Ants just a copy of a Bug's Life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, listen to your fans, Paul Feig. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's great. Good catch. Yeah. I did not think about that at all or put it together. There you go. It. And, uh, yeah, for, uh, you know, people that listen to the clip and don't have it fresh in their mind, we also see towards the end of Jim and Michael's duet a uh, shot of Pam and Angela's feet outside. Dwight and Angela. Or, oh, what did I say? Pam, Pam and Angela. <laughs> Woo! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Getting into some fangasm territory. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> we see Dwight and Angela's feet. Uh, it looks like, where are they? It's, it's... In a doghouse. Okay, that's what I thought. Strange place. Very strange place. And a very big doghouse. They're also not doing a very good job being like incognito because. No. Like the bottom third of their bodies are hanging out of the doghouse. Uh huh. And they're very obvious. Like Dwight is very obviously between Angela's legs. Yep. <laughs> so. 
Yeah. Doesn't seem very Angela. Well. But heat of the moment, she was drinking wine. Yeah, I was about to say, the wine. Yep. I love that uh, when Michael comes in, he just immediately ruins everything (laughs) for everybody. Everybody gets real solemn. Yeah. Uncomfortable. (laughs) He immediately calls Ryan the temp, throws his jacket at him. (laughs) Ryan's just like, you know, (laughs) a party goer. Michael can't give up his authority, even in Jim's house. Yep. (laughs) I love Dwight's exuberant. Surprise! (laughs) Come on, everybody. (laughs) And Phyllis, as as Dwight's saying that, Phyllis is just like, shh, no, Dwight, no. This This wasn't a surprise party for Michael. Yep. (laughs) That's funny. But I also like uh, that this ending, even though it's Michael just crashing a party that he's not really welcome at, Mm -hmm. It kind of fits into that little Greg Daniels uh, oh, absolutely. characters inadvertently providing exactly what another character needs without purposefully or even realizing they're doing it. Whereas, you know, Michael is being rejected by his improv class the entire night because he can't work with anybody at all. Mm-hmm. He's left up there stranded singing karaoke, singing a duet by himself. And then Jim steps in to alleviate the awkwardness probably thinking more of like this is horrible you know not because like i want to help michael but just you know everybody see is to, miserable to me i was watching jim's face as michael started doing karaoke and at first obviously jim is very annoyed as uh-huh. is everybody else just like ugh, party's ruined blah 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 but then i think without even thinking that he's trying to save the party i think he recognizes the loneliness in Michael. Yeah, for sure. And I think it it's largely it's large yeah, it's largely to like include him so he doesn't feel lonely. That makes sense. You're yeah. right. I wasn't thinking of Jim's facial expression, but yeah, yeah no, 100%. I think yeah, there was a point where you see him go from being annoyed to empathizing with Michael's situation. So, yeah. And I I feel like this is we kind of needed this for what's to come in the booze cruise episode yeah where jim confides in michael and without this moment you don't really have that bond between them that that would really make sense so yeah yeah for sure i think this is definitely a plot building device in a way and also like you said that greg daniels heartwarming happy ending moment yeah, but I was yeah. going to say, not only does he, you know, provide Michael with a relief from his loneliness and isolation, he also provides Pam with a relief from what she's preoccupied with now. Mm. She looked miserable and distracted up until they started singing together, and now she's laughing and having a good time as Jim mm. makes funny faces at her, you know, being yeah. like, yep, yeah, what are you going to do? That's a good point. And not only that, one more I just thought of. They provide a great distraction for Dwight and Angela to go hit up that doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> so, true. you know, everyone's helping everybody. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, well, I guess we don't have to go into it. Oh, what were you going to say? Do you think that they were just making out in the doghouse or something a little more, I don't know. I don't know. Could go either way. I mean, I'm leaning more towards, uh-huh. <laughs> but who knows? We'll never know. I guess, I mean, if they weren't doing it there, they're doing it somewhere. So, you know. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Either way, it works out. 
And uh, the episode's almost over, but we have one more brief scene where we see Michael in the hallway of his improv class. It looks like it's maybe just at a community college or a high school or something, which yeah, seems like it would be you know as good a setting as any for something like that. Right. And uh, he's talking to the camera, and he's saying that the way he got into improv is he was walking down the street one day, and Dale Earnhardt pulled up and said, you're funny. You're the funniest person I've ever seen. You should do improv. <laughs> and oh, that was improv. <laughs> the real way is uh, he kind of flat. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. That's the end. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. I don't know why I said it like it wasn't, because I think it was a great episode. <laughs> I feel like my tone indicated I was not a fan. I was no, I like it. Um, I think I was the one who started with the rating and the new MVP the episode category last time. Our so. new MVP category. Woo! Thanks to Agent Euroscarn. Second shout out. What? Gyroscarn. Oh, agree to disagree. We'll, we'll <laughs> let him correct us. Or she. Outofpaperpod at gmail.com. Or they. 2019. You know, I don't want to box them in. Fair enough. <laughs> well, anyhow, uh, the main point is this is on you, sir. Time for ratings. Ratings. Hey. The Dunny. How can I explain it? How can I explain it? it? You it? You it? What you think? All right. Well, uh oh. I felt the episode started off strong with the cold open and the scenes with the IT guy. Okay. There was a little bit of a lull before they break away into the improv and the party. Okay. Yeah. But not like... I agree with you there. Not, it doesn't break... It, it doesn't ruin the episode. No. It's just, you know, something I noticed. So I might not be as high in my rating as the previous two episodes. That's okay. Still liked the episode, though. It's, you know, our, our listeners might turn on you, but, you know, give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, uh-oh. And an MVP. I feel, like, weirdly free in these parts of us recording, because I feel like I can just speak freely knowing that <laughs> this gap is going to be edited out. <laughs> Sometimes. I have hemorrhoid! <laughs> in case this doesn't get edited out, I don't. I have in the past, and it's awful, but I don't, and that's good. <laughs> okay. I think I'm going to give this episode 7 out of 10 Birkenstocks for special occasions. Ooh. <laughs> Not bad. And... Who's your MVP, though? It's a tough one. It is a tough one. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> I think my MVP has to be Michael singing Dolly Parton's part in his duet. When he get nice. when he when he starts hitting those <laughs> falsetto notes, I can't help but laugh out loud. That is a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's almost a cop out, I feel like, to the name Michael as the MVP in a lot of these episodes, but if we're gonna go with funniest moment, I have I, I think that is the one that really did it for me. Okay. So nice. Yeah. Now it's on me. Tables have turned. Oh, man. My, how this 
<laughs> hmm. I think I'm going to be a little more generous. I'm going to give this episode eight and a half Heidi Key Rocks just because <laughs> I feel like it's, you know, there's a lot of plot progression in this episode, more than in most. It's true. And uh, I feel like we kind of see deeper into characters' souls than we do in a lot of previous episodes. Good and, point. Uh, Office MVP. That is a tough one. You know, part of me earlier was thinking it'd be funny to just give it to Stanley every single episode, even if he only has, like, one line or just, like, a chuckle. <laughs> but I don't even know if he has any lines in this episode, so that won't do. And it would probably get old pretty quick. There was one where he's talking with Oscar in the kitchen. Oh, right. But that wasn't funny, necessarily. No, I did not think that was funny. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to give the Office MVP... Just to be different, I think I'm going to give it to Pam. Oh. Yeah. And my line of thinking is uh, she wasn't necessarily the funniest character in the episode, but I feel like it's the most we see of her where she's doing something that's not directly involving Jim or another character. We're just kind of following her on her own mission for the episode. Her own surveillance quest. Right. Surveilling... Dwight and Angela. Mm-hmm. See what they're up to. And I feel like it's the first we see of Pam where she is being maybe like a little precocious, a little mischievous on her own. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I just feel like she, I don't know, I almost see it as like kind of a breakout episode for her character. She's almost, even though she's a main character of the series, I feel like she was almost kind of on the sidelines every episode before this one. Huh. And it felt like it just kind of fleshed her out more fully to me. It's true. I felt like, I, I feel like in a lot of the episodes we've done before this one, like I always am struggling to find clips that involve Pam because she's such an important character. And I'm just like, there's just not as much of her as I remembered there being in these early seasons and early yeah. episodes. She's more, she's been more of a person that is on the receiving end of the action versus the action part of the action exactly yeah i feel like besides this the only episode we've really seen her do a whole lot was in the dundies and it was really just she was wasted the whole time or half the time yeah it's true so i'm gonna give pam the mvp plus she is the one that introduces us to the definitive fact that dwight and angela are dating which gives us a lot to work with moving forward very true we see that you know for the first time other people in the office are kind of noticing what's going on with her and Jim and how it makes her feel. Yeah. We see the first time the dynamic of her and Jim when they're completely by themselves without anybody else around when they're in his bedroom and how that plays out. Yeah, there's a moment of silence, but there's nothing awkward about it. No, there isn't. Yeah. That, says, just... that says a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's all in the pauses. It's all in the pauses. <laughs> it's like jazz. <laughs> So yeah, I think that's my rating, and she's my MVP. All right. I'll give it to her. I like it. If it was purely comedy-wise, I would have given it probably to Dwight or Michael, but give yeah. it to Pam. Yeah. I was debating on giving it to Bill. Bill! Yeah. Mr. Bill! Especially <laughs> especially the line where uh, he lies to Michael about how each person going to this private birthday thing independently knows that person outside of improv so 
That is a great scene. <laughs> yeah. I was also debating on giving it to Kevin when he rattles off his excuse that his brother's in town oh, and they're yeah. going to an Alaskan <laughs> film festival. <laughs> just says it so dryly, like he just had it locked and loaded. Yeah, it was so rehearsed. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I'm going to switch my MVP to Kevin because that line was really great. Nice. Yeah. All right. So we got Kevin and Pam and Stanley. Some dark horse MVPs. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Cool. Yeah. It's, uh, you know what's funny is, well, we don't have to get too serious. I was going to talk about the surveillance state and how <laughs> back in 2005, you know, this episode was only breaching the surface compared to what it's like now. Right. Yeah. It's true. Let's jump into it, man. Let's <laughs> let's bring up the, the nuclear waste conversation from a couple of weeks ago, too. Let's go back to that. I think I cut most of that out, so yeah. our, our viewers don't know what we're talking about. I, I think I listened about, to that but... episode recently, and I noticed that <laughs> yeah. most of that was gone. I feel like there was like a sentence that each of us said, not the 25 minutes of like, oh, man, the world. <laughs> we're all going to die. Yeah, there was well, a little, there was a guarantee, a... even a best-case scenario. Well, yeah. So. Nobody gets out alive. It's true, but and we want everyone who listens to our podcast <laughs> to keep that in mind. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we could probably save those cuts and just build a, a depressing super reel. Yeah, or just like <laughs> a, a podcast about politics in and of itself, and oh, just God. the state of the world, and It'd be a hot take because nobody's doing that now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need more of. <laughs> That's what I think when I look at the news. You know, <laughs> nobody's talking about politics or the world. <laughs> or the world. Yeah. Somebody should be talking about that. There's some stuff. <laughs> International news with Dan and Rob. Oh, God. <laughs> Just put me in a Dunder Mifflin warehouse employee uniform and get me the noose. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go out the way I came into this world. It's a Dunder Mifflin warehouse employee. I don't know what that means, but someone can figure it out. <laughs> well, I just want to say before we sign off that last week we had our written review challenge challenge for our viewers. That's right. We did. Has anybody done it yet? Well, you know, what's funny is I realized editing the episode that we told the, these viewers that if they left the review, we would reach out to them and get their address so we can send them a sticker. I saw you adjusted it in the show notes. I did adjust it in the show notes, and I just wanted to point that out. I also mentioned in the show notes that it was for this week only, but since we didn't clarify in the episode, I'll extend it another week. Ah. I mean, you guys aren't going to hear this episode for another week after we record it. Yeah, I figured it was open-ended. It's (laughs) (laughs) open-ended. Maybe I'll edit the description so it's (laughs) not this week only. Well, yeah. Constructive compliments or criticisms. Yeah. If you want to give us a well-thought-out, you know, overly elaborate one-star rating, <laughs> it'll bum us both out, but that's okay, too. Just please be very specific yeah. so we can be very self-conscious yeah, we can improve. in front of the microphones we want to improve. from here on out. Right. So we'll both be using different voices and yeah. trying to expand our vocabulary so we don't sound like a couple of third graders talking about The Office and... Whatever, I feel what, like we at least sound like fifth graders <laughs> talking about The Office. I like to think so, but, you know, fifth graders these days are learning programming, and that's a, that's way over my head, so. 
I'll have you know, Rob, that in second grade, I was reading at a sixth grade level, and in college, I was still reading at a sixth grade level, so <laughs> I think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> nice. All right, guys, that'll do it for this episode of Out of Paper. That's all we got. Catch you in the next one. Have a good one, people. Happy Memorial Day, or <laughs> Memorial, Memorial Day. Happy a week from Memorial Day. Right. Oh, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Peace, baby, people. Baby, when I met you, there was peace unknown. I set out to get you with a fine-tooth comb. I was soft inside. There was something going on. You do something to me that I can't explain. Out of Paper is not endorsed by DLD Productions or NBC and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The Office, the Office logo, and all character, pictures, and audio of The Office are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their registered copyright holders.